This is from the 21st chapter of Deuteronomy as Moses, uh, God through Moses prepares the people to enter the promised land. If anyone has a stubborn and rebellious son who does not obey his mother and father and will not listen when they discipline him, the mother and father are to take hold of him and take him to the elders at the town gate. They are to say, our, this is our son, he is rebellious and stubborn. He does not obey us. He is a profligate and a drunkard. Then all the men of the town are to stone him to death. In this way you will purge yourselves of evil, and all Israel will hear and be afraid. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Be seated, please. One of my relatives called me this week and said, uh, what are you preaching on? And I said, well, I'm preaching in Deuteronomy 21, uh, verse 18, about the rebellious son. And he laughed and he said, oh, yeah, I know that passage. I've read it to my son, too. Well, as a father with three sons, I find this to be a very interesting passage. And as one who is trying desperately to uh, follow God in Christ closely, I find it a troubling passage. What are we to do? with this passage about the rebellious and stubborn son. Well, I was curious enough that I did some homework this week, and all I want to do this morning is just share with you what I found. This is what I found. There are 36 different crimes in in the Hebrew Scriptures in the Old Testament uh, that have the death uh, penalty as the punishment. And one of the things I learned is that the rabbis uh, practiced something that was called putting a fence or a, a rail around the Torah. Now, this can be taken in two ways. One way you'd put a rail around the Torah is if you don't want somebody to break an important commandment, you give them some obstacles before they can get there. So, if exa- for example, if I don't want my child to play in the street, I'd tell him, you can't leave the front porch. So I at least put the yard between him and uh, the, the street. In the same way, Jesus said, you've heard it said not to commit adultery, but I tell you not to lust. He's, he's putting a, a fence around the Torah. But another way that you could say they put a fence around the Torah was to try to help you in, that, uh, in such a way that in keeping God's law, you might actually be breaking God's law and intention. So as you might imagine, there was quite a bit of debate among the rabbis about what one was supposed to do with uh, this and the other passages about capital punishment in ancient Israel. And basically, the rabbis in Jesus' day uh, came up with these guidelines for uh, the people after centuries of discussion. The first was this, that the death penalty could not be carried out unless there were two eyewitnesses to the crime, whatever it was. The second limitation was this, and if somebody was uh, carrying out this crime, they had to be warned in the midst of the crime, don't do this or you may face the death penalty. And the third limitation was uh, the person who was carrying out this crime had to not only be warned about this crime, they had to say to the witnesses, I understand that I could die for this, but I'm going to do it anyway. Only if all three were fulfilled. Could one, say the rabbis, carry out the death sentence? I mean, Miranda rights are nothing compared to this. And so as a result, you might realize that rarely was the death sentence carried out in Israel. In fact, one rabbi commenting on this passage says, this has never happened to a son in Israel, and it never will. 
But another rabbi commenting uh, argued back and said, I've seen it once. Either way, we get the idea that it just doesn't happen very often. In fact, in Jesus' day, the rabbis taught that uh, if a Sanhedrin, a ruling council like um, they had in Jerusalem, which was uh, composed of 66 Sadducees and four Pharisees who, who uh, ruled on matters, they, were, they said if a Sanhedrin puts to death more than one person a decade, they need to go back and restudy God's law because that's too many. Now, I tell you this because it's very clear that Jesus was in the standing tradition and conversation of the leading rabbis in his day. And unless he otherwise speaks about it, he's usually thinking and discussing along the matters that they are. So the first thing I want to tell you is uh, that I, it's my strong hunch that a whole lot more people have been executed for crimes in the state of Texas in our history than were ever executed for crimes in ancient Israel. It was something that was extremely rare. The second thing that I found out is even within this passage, there's a number of safeguards. There's a number of things that, that really make it hard for this uh, judgment and punishment to come about. The first thing is that the offender, the rebellious son, has to be uh, a repeat offender many times. They have to be stubborn, rebellious, disobedient, drunkard, profligate. Basically, they can't have any redeeming social values at all. Nothing to their, to their credit. Uh, it would take all of that. And, and one of the things this does is it, is it puts sort of a check on the parents. They can't get upset with the child one day and haul him before the elders at, at the town gates, which is where the elders or city council would sit. Then there was a second safeguard that's very interesting. And the safeguard is this. Mom and dad have to agree. They have to go and take the son together to the city council and they have to say, this son of ours doesn't obey, he's rebellious, he's stubborn, he's a drunkard, he's a profligate. They have to be on the same page. Now, I've been married almost 34 years. We've raised three children. I assure you we have not always been on the same page. So when it comes to something as serious as capital punishment, what are the odds? That mom and dad are speaking with one voice on this issue. In fact, some of the rabbis taught that they had to speak with one voice so much so that when they warned their son this would happen, their voices had to sound the same. So that the mother had to lower her voice and the father had to raise his. Now, I don't really know if many rabbis went along with that particular teaching. But you see that there's a check. First of all, you've got to have a repeat offender who uh, has basically nothing uh, uh, good to say about anything that they've done in their life. Second thing is mom and dad have got to be on the same page. Then they have to take the child to the, to the city council, to the elders at the gate. And we're told in uh, NIV, which is what I quoted to you this morning, uh, that then all the men of the village will stone him. Uh, another translation in the JPS, the Jewish Publication Society, says, Thereupon all the men of the village. Well, most scholars uh, tend to agree that there's a lot that happens from taking the son to the gate, saying, this is the situation, and, and the then. Most assume there's some sort of investigation that is taken by the elders at the gate, so that uh, this is not something that happens very quickly, uh, that there, it's... The matter is thoroughly examined. And then finally, 
it's not the parents then who carry out the sentence, no matter how angry, frustrated, or upset, or, or even saddened they must be. It is all the men of the town. And if you know how um, stoning worked in Jesus' day, it simply, and the day of Stephen, who was, of course, stoned, it was this, that the eyewitnesses threw the first stones. And after the eyewitnesses to the crime threw the stones on you, then everyone who thought you were guilty and thought you deserved death had to pitch in a stone as well. And if there weren't enough people that were willing to do that, then you went free. You can see a line of safeguards that starts, first of all, with the sun having to be extremely, extremely dangerous to the community. Parents who have to be on the exact same page about a very delicate matter. And then a city council that will do a thorough investigation. And then all the guys in town saying, yeah, we need to do this. The fact of the matter is, I believe, executions were rarely carried out in ancient Israel. And when it comes to the case of the rebellious son, it's doubtful that more than once or twice in their history, it was ever done at all. So what are we to make of this passage? I think, as one of the rabbis said, the one who said, I've never seen it, and we never will, he also said, but it's there to teach us. What's God trying to teach us? I think there are a couple important things. The first thing is this. God is trying to teach us that, that our relationship with our parents is an integral component of our faith. If we claim to be walking with God, but we're not walking with our parents, then there's something wrong with our claim. And we need to re-examine it. As uh, Janet pointed out to the children, that the, one, the fifth commandment, a hinge point from verses 1 to 4, um, commandments 1 to 4, and then going on to 5 through 10, says, honor your father and mother, and it's the only one with a promise attached. It is absolutely vital to our faith that we are attentive to our parents, uh, both when we're younger and then when we get older and they are elderly. In fact, the word for the he will not listen to me, you probably already know the word is shma. He won't shma. There's, there is, uh, he's not practicing the faith by not being attentive to his parents. So the first thing is, it's a vital matter of the relationship we have uh, as children with our parents. The second thing is this, it's very clear that, that the raising of our children and the caring for our parents as they are older is a community concern. And one that is so vital that uh, this most serious of punishments is threatened and, and put out before the community. Let me say it another way. A community that doesn't care about its children or a community that doesn't care about its elderly, both of them are walking out of step with the God of the universe. If there are vital matters, you measure the health not by how we are doing individually, but how are our children doing and how are our parents doing. That is how we are doing in this world. And it's such a vital matter that it's a community concern. You know, I told my children, and they thought I was just being mean, when we were uh, raising them, I said, if you get in trouble, we're not keeping it a secret. We're not hiding your issue behind closed doors. We're not going to try to go make it go away quietly. We need the support and encouragement of the community, and we believe this is a community deal. How much damage have we done in our community trying to protect our kids when they're struggling? 
And how much help have we missed out on? It is a community concern. We baptize a child and I walk all around the sanctuary with the child. It's not just so you can get a better view. It's because it does take a village in the biblical sense to raise a child because the fate of the village is dependent on how well that child is raised. It's much too important an issue for me to try to handle it by myself or just with my spouse. The care for our children. The care for our elderly determines, I think, the, the future course of our community and reflects our standing with God. Now, Jesus came in the Sermon on the Mount. He said, ah, I did not come to abolish the law. I came to fulfill it. And I tell you that not one jot or tittle, which is like, kind of like um, a, a, a dot over an I or crossing of a T, will disappear from the law. Well, what did Jesus do in these cases? John chapter 8, there's a woman caught in the act of adultery. There are obvious eyewitnesses. And what Jesus says to the crowd is not, eyewitnesses, go first. That's the way it works here. He said, which one of you hasn't said? You go ahead and pick up the first stone. And of course, they walk away from the eldest to the youngest, probably. And then Jesus says to the woman, is anyone left to condemn you? She says, no. And he said, well, neither do I. Go and sin no more. And then in the Gospel of Luke, chapter 15, he tells the most interesting story about a man who had two sons. And the man's younger son says to his father, give me my share of the inheritance. I'll do the translation for you. Drop dead, dad. I don't need you. I don't want you. Give me my share of the money. And then he goes. And wastes it, according to the older brother, he wastes it on prostitutes and wild living. Or drunkenness is another translation. What's the brother doing? He's saying, this guy's a profligate and a drunkard. He's making a legal case for why this son should not only not be welcomed back in the family, he shouldn't even be living. And what does the father do in Jesus' story? Son, son, we should be happy. First of all, all that I've left is yours anyway. And second of all, this brother of yours was lost. But now he's found. My sense of the God of the Bible is the God of the Bible is not interested in people being lost to destruction. But the God of the Bible greatly desires that people be found. In grace, living in harmony with their children and with their parents. Our God is not a God of death. Our God is a God of abundant life. But apart from caring for our children and our parents, that life does not come very easily.